I think that we learned a little bit last week, learned a little bit about love, about how God loves us. We, we talked specifically about this story that we're reading about Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, friends of Jesus, and they come and they, they try to get Jesus to come to see Lazarus on the basis of love. They say, hey, the person that you love, your friend Lazarus, he's sick, please come. And Jesus says, yeah, I do love him, and so I'm not going to leave yet. This leads to Lazarus' death. Now, at first glance, this might seem, seem a little, you know, like problematic because Jesus says, hey, listen, don't worry, Mary, don't worry, Martha, or the servants that they sent on their behalf. Uh, the illness that Lazarus has doesn't lead to death. The sickness that he has doesn't lead to death. But yet, then we see just a couple days later, Lazarus does die. Jesus a liar? No. Number one, we remember the fact that what Jesus was talking about wasn't ultimate death, but that this situation really didn't have a lot to do with Lazarus. This situation, even Lazarus' death and the resurrection that we're going to talk about next week and read next week, it has to do more about bringing glory to God. And really last week we made this statement, all things exist, including you and I, primarily to bring glory to God. I wonder if you'd agree with that, amen? We exist, you exist, I exist to bring glory to God. So even in the moments when it's not okay, it's okay. Even in the moments of darkness and deep distress, when it's not okay, it's okay. And Jesus doesn't always respond like we want him to respond. Hey, Jesus, come, save my brother. You can do it. And Jesus is like, okay, but just relax. I'm going to be there in a couple days. <laughs> Even in those moments when Jesus doesn't respond the way that we want him to respond, it's okay. Why? Because it's for his glory. God is going to take and use and shape and mold me and use me and use my situations around me to bring himself glory. And the type of love that God has for us, and this is where I just want to camp just briefly because it informs this next passage. The type of love that God has for us is not just phileo. Phileo is given. That's the basis that came to Jesus. This, you love him. He's your friend. There's a deep acquaintance there. And Jesus is like, no, 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 Scripture is like, no, 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 it's not just phileo, it's what? Agapao, which is unconditional. And here's where I just want to pause. I can't tell you the amount of conversations that I've had with people this week, through phone, through text, through sitting down over coffee, who said something, and I'm paraphrasing, something along these lines. You know, as we were reading last week and as you were talking about the type of love that God had for me, I found myself saying, yeah, right. I can't tell you how many times I heard that this week. Yeah, right. We made, this we made this statement last week that there's nothing you can do that can make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. It's not a love that you have to earn. It's not a love that you have to fight to keep. He just loves you. Now, of course, as followers of Christ, we know that we must surrender our lives to Jesus, follow after him, seek to obey him, but the love that he has for us isn't a love based on our actions. In fact, we know from Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love. What love? Agapao. What love? Unconditional. God demonstrated his unconditional love for you by sending Jesus to die for you while you were yet a sinner. One of my favorite passages and yet, how much do we, as followers of Christ, struggle to just believe that God loves us the way he says he loves us? Now think about that for a moment. 
One of the greatest struggles of our life is to just believe that God loves us. And he does. And so this isn't a reverse invitation, although it feels that way. I would tell you this morning, I don't know what you've walked in here with. I don't know. I don't know what decision you're on the cusp of today. I don't know. I don't know what you looked at last night or early this morning. I don't know the conversations you had on the way to church. I don't know what is running through your soul right now. I don't know what is bearing down on you. I don't know what is hot and heavy in your life. I don't know what sin exists. But I can tell you this. God loves you. God desires you. Don't say, yeah, right. Don't say, maybe for him. Don't say, yeah, maybe for her. Don't say, this probably doesn't apply to me. No, my friend, it does. It applies to you. God loves you. God desires you. God sent Christ to die for you. And it's a beautiful thing that we're going to see this morning right here. Look at this now. Jesus came. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus leaves. Lazarus is dead. He's been in the tomb for four days now, and, and in next week we're going to read, I think, uh, one of the most fascinating par parts of Scripture, and you would, it would do you justice to go and look it up in the, in the King James Version, you know what I'm saying? Any old school Baptist in here? Amen. Um, because when he's about to roll away the tomb, one of the sisters comes and says, Jesus, Jesus, be careful rolling away this, 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 this stone. It's been four days. By now, and here's what the KJV says, by now, surely Lazarus stinketh. That's what she says. Right? There's a great odor. Why? Well, the guy's been dead for four days. You say, what deep significance is there to that? Well, I don't know that there's a great deal of great significance to the four-day mark. I would say this. According to Jewish tradition, there was some kind of like, there was some kind of like legend around, around souls hanging around the body for three days. So maybe it has a little bit to do with that. Maybe Jesus literally waited four days to go and raise Lazarus from the dead so that there could be no argument that Lazarus was actually dead. Not sort of dead, not kind of dead, completely, actually, fully dead. But notice here, I want us to gauge this reaction. Bethany was a little while off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them. When Jesus heard that, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him and Martha remained. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise someday. Jesus said to her, and here's the key right here, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. And this is, I promise you, for us as followers of Jesus, for those of us who aren't followers of Jesus equally, this is a powerful statement. Here it is. Jesus doesn't want to just resurrect you to new life. Jesus desires to also walk with you daily through your life. Now, at first glance, this doesn't really seem like a big deal. But Jesus, in saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life, is quite significant. Jesus could have just said, I'm the resurrection. 
I can raise people from the grave. I can raise people from the dead. I have power over that. But he doesn't just say that. He doesn't stop at resurrection, does he? He actually also says, I am also and equally the life. Jesus is not just the resurrection. He is the life. Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior. He wants to be involved in your everyday life. And there are some significant eternal implications to this, by the way. There's some significant eternal implications to this. The fact that Jesus is the resurrection is a big deal because it speaks to the fact that Jesus, because he had the power to rise from the grave, the fact that he rose from the dead, it means that we no longer have to be slaves to sin. Amen? We don't have to be. I know as a follower of Jesus, we still wrestle with sin, but I'm telling you, you don't have to. In fact, you can give that to God, and you can have victory over any sin in your life. You can. You truly can. The resurrection of Jesus proves that. You have power over that. Not just that. There's also other eternal implications of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus rose from the grave, because he shed his blood, because of of that atonement that was given to us, we also have what's called uh, the imputed righteousness. What's imputed righteousness? Imputed righteousness is the fact that on the cross, Jesus imputed his righteousness from me, from himself to me. And where I'm standing, my sin was imputed onto him. Now get that now. This is massively important. In fact, this is gonna be important in just a couple minutes when we get to another theological term that we're gonna discuss. But the fact of the matter is, on the cross, Jesus did not drop his deity, but rather counted my sins as his. Watch this now. This is important. Counted my sins as his and counted my righteous, his righteousness as mine. His righteousness is credited to me. My sin is credited to him. Jesus being the resurrection and the life, eternal implication means that there is now no more sin that's going to condemn me. I have forgiveness. Now because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, I can have the Holy Spirit. My standing before God is secure. Is there anybody here this morning? Because of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, I can know God. That's ultimately what this means. And so when you encounter somebody who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I believe in some of the Bible, I don't really get down with the whole Jesus dying and rising again thing, you are missing the main point in all of Scripture. The gospel hinges on the fact that Jesus didn't just hang on a cross, that Jesus didn't just die on a cross, but that Jesus actually literally rose from the grave. All of the gospel hinges on that. In fact, Paul says, if Jesus wasn't buried and risen again, then our gospel is faulty and it's all a farce. So I'm telling you, if there's something to get right, this is, this is it. Your salvation hinges on it, your righteousness. But there's not just eternal implications to the resurrection and the life. There's also immediate. Put up some of those immediate implications. Look at this. There's immediate implications. Sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the process that I become more and more like Jesus every day. And here's what's interesting. God will use circumstances and situations to sanctify you. Oftentimes, the most difficult seasons of our lives, God allows so that we can become more like Jesus. Having children is a sanctifier. Anybody in here say amen? Amen. Having twins is a mega sanctifier. 
having triplets. Here we have a family here with triplets. You are sanctified, okay, my brother? It's challenging, marriage, a sanctifier. Losing a job. God can use that as a sanctification process. Immediate implications, Jesus being the resurrection and life. How about peace? Because Jesus is not just the resurrection, but also the, the life. I can have peace. I can have rest. I can have hope. I can have help. I can have friendship. Friendship with God. Friendship with God. And they say, why is this a big deal that we see Jesus as not just our Savior, but our Lord? Not just seeing Jesus as being the one who saves me from hell and gets me to heaven, and that's great. Yeah, that is great. But if you only see Jesus as Savior and don't see him as Lord, it's going to lead you to a place of religion when God desires you in a place of relationship. Seeing Jesus as your Savior but not your Lord leads to religion, not relationship. You say, what does that mean? Can you break that down a little bit? Of course. If you actually think that God has come just to save you, to keep you from hell and get you into heaven someday, then what you do today is not that important. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. Everything's good. As long as I mind my P's and Q's, as long as I make sure to go to church, as long as I make sure to sign up for Four Grove City, which by the way, you should sign up for Four Grove City. As long as I make sure to go on a missions trip every once in a while, at least support people who do, as long as I don't do this, this, and this, and this, then I'm good. And you can just get into a religious experience. Anybody this morning, does this make sense? How many of us get caught up in the religiosity of Christianity? We get the backpats, we get people say, give us the attaboys, attaboy, good job. Man, you're great. You're good at the religious game. And yet Jesus comes, and who does he destroy? the people who are the best at the religious game. Now that's not to say that you shouldn't come to church. It's not to say that there's not some aspect of religion to what you're doing. What I'm saying is when you bow your knee to Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord, every single day, every single atom of your relationship matters. I don't want to break my friendship with Jesus. I don't want to hurt my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be pushed away in any degree in my walk with Christ. So the things I say, the places I do, the things that I embark to do, the, the people in my life, they matter. Not just because, well, I could get to hell because of this or to heaven because of this, but because it could break my friendship and relationship with Jesus. It matters. It matters what I watch. It matters what I listen to, what I put in my mind. It matters. Listen, Jesus didn't come to this earth, die on a cross, go to the grave, rise again, rise again, so that you could have a religious experience. People have been having religious experiences for years before Jesus came. Jesus came to bring relationship. Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus came to bring rest. Jesus didn't come to abolish the old religious system. He came to fulfill it, and he did. He fulfilled it in a way that no one else ever could. That's Jesus, our relational king. Look at this in verse 28. Let's keep going on. We're going to dig a little bit deeper here. It gets a little heavy for a moment, so hang tight. Verse 28. 28. Let's start in verse 27. 
Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Watch this now. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell to his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. An emotional response. They've been calling for Jesus for days, knowing that he is the son of God, knowing that he could heal their brother, and they're, they're built up with emotion, and they're being honest. Why? Because there's a relationship there. How often do we feel like we can't be honest with Jesus? How often do we, have to, do we feel like we have to cover up the fact that we're frustrated or upset? Jesus, I don't know why you didn't do this. If you would have just done this, this wouldn't have been a problem, but because you didn't do this, now I'm in this situation. We feel like we can't be honest. Because we're scared we're going to offend Jesus by being honest in our relationship with him. That tells you that you are more invested in a religion than a relationship. Seeing Jesus more as Savior than Lord. Jesus wants to know the intricate emotional details of your life. Do you hear me? He wants to know when you're upset. Wants to know when you're aggravated. By the way, he's God. He knows already. It's not like you're keeping anything from him. He wants you to willingly... Give that over to him. Now watch this now. Watch this now. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was, read this with me now, he was what? Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then this famous verse, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? I'm going to read this extra verse, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Now, this is so cool. We read this passage and we think, wow, Jesus wept. Jesus was moved. He was. But this is a passage that demonstrates or put on, puts on display what we call theologically the hypostatic union. What is that? We're going to give you a definition here. The hypostatic union is the union of Christ's humanity and divinity in one individual existence. This is the fact, just to put it simply, that Jesus was fully man and fully God at the same time at all times. Now, this is important because there is a strain of popular theology today that will tell you that when Jesus was on the cross, that he dropped his divinity and became fully man when he took on our sins. I want you to know if at any point in time Jesus dropped his deity and just fully embraced humanity, he would not have been the one who could die and make atonement for your sins. You've got to understand that. At no point did Jesus drop this hypostatic union. At no point has Jesus ever ceased from being God. Jesus, fully God, fully man, at all times, in all places. We on board with that? Yes? Now here's why this is interesting. Because we see two different emotional reactions from Jesus. It says Jesus was deeply moved. You're like, well, yeah, his heart was grieved. That's not what the text means. Actually, if you look at this word here, 
It, it's, it's, uh, this word is really hard to say. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to butcher it. But it's embri maomai. And it actually is in reference to a horse being ag- agitated and snorting. And I'm not going to imitate that for you, okay? But you can imagine. So think about driving your spurs into the side of a horse and having it snort in anger. And then we also see Jesus weeping. I want you to understand the balance of emotion that Jesus was carrying in this moment. Jesus was carrying the human emotion of sadness. He saw his friends weeping over his friend's death. He's moved by that. He's hurt and saddened. The human side of Jesus is hurting. The deity side of Jesus is angry. Angry about what? One of the things you have to learn about Jesus is maybe the way he views things. We learn this by knowing scripture. How does Jesus view death? Jesus viewed death in a much different way than we view death. I don't know how you view death, maybe with some intrepidation, maybe with some fear, maybe with a little, you know, I don't know, anxiety. Yeah, Jesus viewed death as an enemy. Jesus viewed death as an enemy. In fact, Jesus came into this world not just to defeat sin, but also to defeat what? Death. Jesus came to defeat Death. And so Jesus rolls up to the scene where his friend has died, where his other friends are weeping, where the people around him are hurting, and he has a human reaction saying, man, I hurt for my friends, and I'm angry at my enemy death. I'm angry. I'm agitated. I don't know if he snorted or not, but he's frustrated. Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at this now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Next verse. But thanks be to God who gives us the what, church? You're going to read that verse. You better read a little bit louder than that. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus being the resurrection and the life means this. He is a savior who will save you, but he also wants to walk with you through life. And his great enemy was death. And on the cross, when he died and rose again, Jesus Christ gained victory, demonstrated victory over death. So now we can say, there is no sting in death. There is no pain in death. There is no ultimate death in death. Death has been defeated by the, by the overwhelming blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to be anxious about it. You don't have to wonder about it because you know a man. You know a God. You know a Savior. You know a Lord who is greater than death. When you lose a loved one who knows Jesus, you will be caught up with them once again in heaven. When you yourself become ill and death is right around the corner, you can have great hope because of the, because of the winning blood of Jesus Christ. Church, what greater news is there than this? What greater news is there than this? Even when it's not okay, it's okay. 
You're like, yeah, but they died. It's still okay. It's still okay. You've lost loved ones. I've lost loved ones. It hurts. I hate it. I hate it. But I will see them again. And where we go, there will be no more death. Why? Because our Lord defeated it. Because our King overruled it. Because our Messiah died and rose again so it would exist no more. And one day, when we join with each other in heaven, we will stand before our King. We will stand before our God. It says we will stand hand in hand with the nations of the world who have come before us, the Christian men, the Christian women of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, and we will bow down before the throne of God and give glory to our God, the one who is resurrection, the one who is life, the one who gave himself for us and we will glorify him forever no more pain no more hurt no more death man if you can't think about anything else to get excited about could you get excited about that could that be your great hope and the fact is it's offered to you freely it's offered to you freely even if you came in hopeless today for whatever reason that hope is available to you right now I'm gonna invite you your eyes closed, your heads bowed, whether you're joining us online, whether you're here right now. Chase this hope. Run after this man, Christ Jesus. He is your hope. Honestly, he's your only hope. There's nothing else in this life that will satisfy eternally. Nothing. Right now, your eyes closed and your heads bowed. I would invite you to accept him as your savior. I would invite you to investigate him further. I would invite you to invite him into your life. Scripture says that when we repent of our sins, which means when we turn from them, that we will be forgiven. Jesus, we give you our sin. Take them from us. Take our burdens. Scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, we call in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, your son. Save us. But don't just save us. Walk with us each day. And may we walk with you each day. Eyes closed, heads bowed, no one looking around. If that's you right now, if you are interested, invested, desiring on any level this new relationship with Christ where he's not just a savior, but also your Lord, I wonder, would you just, with no one looking around, would you just slip up your hand? Say, I want that relationship. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Yes, I see you. Yes, yes. Yeah, man, I see you. Yeah. Come find us. Come find us after church. We're in the Connect Center. We're serving coffee. We're walking around greeting people. Come find us. I want to put information in your hand. I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for the work you're doing in this community. It's evolving and growing and moving and reshaping us. Help us to be found in the likeness of you. In Christ's name we pray.